Hello, I'm Ian Cheeseman. This is Forever Blue. It's a weekly podcast dedicated to Manchester City. Um, we're not official. Um, we can say what we want. And uh, we are here to basically spread the word of City fans on all sorts of debates. And we have two special guests today that you'll hear from a little bit later on. Before I tell you who those guests are and who the three members of the Forever Blue team who are with me today, let me just thank charleslouis.co.uk, who are Chartered Mortgage Advisors, and tell you that Charles Louis is an independent financial advisory business. They advise on development finance, mortgage advice, and they are estate agents. They started out life as a simple mortgage company offering buy-to-let, first-time buyer and moving home mortgages. Charles Louis will provide support for the whole property transaction, the whole process, including an independent estate agent and an expert commercial finance team. Without their support, there wouldn't be a Forever Blue podcast this season. So a big, big thank you to them. And it means if you are buying or selling, whether it be business or individual, and you want advice, I'm saying go to people I know, people who are City fans, people who you can trust. Um, their number, their telephone number is on their website. So it's Charles Louis and the Louis is spelled L-O-U-I-S. So the, the way that the French speak, uh, do it, I suppose. CharlesLouis.co.uk. Go on the website. There's the phone number. Dave's your man. Ask for him. He's always very busy, but he'd be glad to take your call, I'm sure. So coming up later on, we've got Stan Horn, former City player, who played for the club during the 1960s. Still very much a, a person who's involved at City. I've seen him at golfing days and all sorts of stuff. Uh, very much a blue. But what happened to him and three other players, Bobby Kennedy, Paul Hintz and Harry Dowd, was that in 68, when City won the first division, effectively the Premier League these days, they, the four of them didn't receive a medal for that because they'd only played about five games each. But there is now an attempt by City to get Stan and the others a medal, which I applaud greatly. And we'll hear that interview with Stan Horn at the end of this podcast. In a moment or two, we'll also hear from Kevin Parker, who is the General Secretary of the City Supporters Club, um, and he will talk to us about Project Big Picture and also the way that City tickets might be distributed whenever the day comes that we can get back into games. I have three members of the Forever Blue podcast team with me today. We've got Amy, we've got Paul and we've got Harlan. So thanks very much to the three of you for joining us. Let's start by talking about... Uh, the Arsenal game, which uh, for us now, as we record this on Sunday evening, was yesterday. So uh, let's start with Amy. Uh, what did you make of that performance? It was, it was only one goal. It was a win. Um, I saw a lot of people commenting on social media, a win's a win. Sometimes you have to just be grateful for the scoreline. So that would suggest some people didn't think it was a great performance. What did you make of it? Uh, I'd say I was happy with the win. Um some players did really, really well, uh, especially Aki and Diaz. And big shout out to Edison because without him, um, he'd made some amazing saves. Um, Sterling did well. Uh, it was good to see Sergio back. Um, yeah, I think we did really, really well. Obviously, there's always improvement. Um, but yeah, it was nice to see Pep back with his cardi. Maybe it might bring some luck again. Who knows? Um, but yeah, no, big shout out to Edison. He, he, he saved the day yesterday, really did really well. We talked uh, in a previous podcast, which was on the YouTube channel as well, uh, asking the question if Pep had lost his mojo. Um, are you suggesting then by bringing his cardigan back and looking like he did at the end of that game that uh, he hasn't lost his mojo then? I heard him shouting like nobody. I said to my dad, I went, is that Pep shouting? He was like, you know, he's like, I'm, an, I'm animated around the uh, pitch, uh, shouting his orders out. Um, I mean, that man could make a bin bag look good. I just think that, um, you know, he just, he just, he, he's just a genius and he's amazing. So I don't have anything bad to say about Pep. I, I've liked him for, I liked him well before he come to City. So, um, yeah, I, hopefully, fingers crossed, the card going is a good omen again. I don't think you were on the podcast when this subject came up last time, Amy, but um, do you, does it concern you at all, given that you're a self-declared 
pepperholic, let's call it that, <laughs> um, that that he at the moment isn't committing to longer than than this season. I think, like he said, he wants to prove himself, and I think that's a good thing to do, you know. And it stops, I suppose, it stops media speculation and things, you know, because uh, you know they like to uh, pick at us, especially like what's happened today. Um, so yeah, I just um, I just think it quietens things down, and I think he was right to say that he he needs to work at it and he needs to prove himself. And I'm, I'm sure by the end of like his contract, he will have signed another one. I did say before we started recording the podcast that I wouldn't mention the subject that you've just alluded to, so I can't ignore it now. You said Sorry. after what's happened today, and that's because of Sergio Aguero being pictured uh, with uh, a lines person with her, uh, his arm around her at the end of the game, and some people calling for him to be punished for that. That's what you're referring to, isn't it? Uh, yeah. <laughs> So from that, you're very dismissive of it, are you? Well, you know what I'm like about Sergio. I will literally like go and strangle everybody that slugged him off today, if I possibly could. Um, I'm not being funny, but I've met the guy and he's one of the nicest people you could ever meet. He treated me with respect and he treated my mate with respect. And I, I'm sorry, but I'm disgusted. I'm absolutely... It's it's upset me in a way because he's he's not that type of person, and I hope that Shan will come out and actually say something and like stop all this silliness because they're basically like trying to get his head on a platter, and I'm not happy about it at all. It's interesting because clearly you're a female, and the whole inference was that this was being been done respect disrespectfully to a female. Uh, there's nobody better from our podcast. To, to give us a view on that. You you don't think that, do you not? No, he just put I think what happened was he basically he shouted at her because of um she, you know, she pulled the flag up. And then I think he basically put his arm around to apologize. If she was really, really upset about it, she would have like said something to the ref or, you know, he would have been all over the coals for it. How many times have we seen players touch referees and stuff? Aguero's one of them. We've seen it loads of times, and I'm not being funny, but he didn't do anything wrong. And if she felt that he that she felt that he'd done something wrong, then she had every right to go and speak to the ref, and she hasn't done. But I would like her to come out and give a statement and apologize and say basically Sergio didn't do anything. If he did, he did. But I wouldn't like her to come and say something because on Twitter today it's actually made me feel physically sick, the stuff that's been said. Um, it's not fair at all, but like, you know, but this is what happens in it. If she wasn't, all I'm saying is that if she wasn't, um, if she wasn't a woman, would we still be having this debate? And I just think it's absolutely disgusting. And I hope she does come out and say something because it's really, really annoyed me. Well, I think you two, I hope you're in agreement with me. I'm just going to leave that with Amy, this particular subject, because I think you've, you've said what, a lot of people will think anyway, but it come, it's stronger when it comes from a female member of our team. So um, we'll leave that one. Is that, are you two in agreement with that? We, we just agree with what Amy said? Yeah, yeah, 100%. So tell us your thoughts on the Arsenal game then. Go on, Paul, I'll let you go first, Paul. I've got to unmute him first of all, because he was moving about before and uh, causing a lot of aggro. So oh, no worries. All right, go on then, I'll go then. Oh, do you want to go, Paul? Yeah, go on. No, no, go on, go on, Paul. I'd just like to reiterate what Amy just said then, that she she read it exactly as I read it, that, um, you know, he'd had a bit of a... He shouted at her for whatever reason, as anybody would with a, with a, an assistant official. Um, he then, he then make, went to make amends, and I thought it was a, a really nice human moment, to be honest. Um, of him, you know, him realising he was shouting, she was a female, so he put his arm round her just to say, yeah, sorry, mate, kind of thing. Um, and she tapped him back and said, yeah, no, don't worry about it. And off they went. I think she's one of the best officials in the Premier League, if I'm being perfectly honest. Um, and she's a sort of uh, woman that's a great role model. And if she felt that she'd been offended in any which way, she is the sort of character 
who would have been, she's mic'd up, by the way, to the referee. She would have said something and the referee would have come over. She obviously didn't think there was anything wrong. In my opinion, it was a nice human moment. And at the end of the day, I didn't even think anything of it. It was only because of what I've seen on Twitter and social media that I was amazed when it came out. And I, I assumed something else had happened. Um, so, yeah, that I, I know we didn't want to talk about it, but I felt I felt that I needed to say something as well about it because stuff like that just winds me up. The only reason I didn't want to talk about it, by the way, was because I didn't want to give more airtime to something that I absolutely. thought that was, was a non-event. So let's move on now yeah, and, and, and yeah. tell me what you thought of the game then. Um, Arsenal, much better improvement. I think it was a, a great team uh, effort, to be honest. Um, you know, every player performed um, above a seven, if you like. Um, I thought this Diaz... He's the new Vincent company in the making. Um, I thought everybody played well. Bernardo looked back to his best. Great to see Sergio back. Again, uh, Edison making um, making the headlines for making saves rather than just long passes. Um, I just thought it was a great performance against a side that, you know, people were touting around earlier on in the season as being, you know, potential title contenders and what have you. So I, I thought we played really well against uh, a manager that obviously knows how to play against us because he was Pep's right-hand man for so long. So, um, you know, just because you, you, you score five or six goals, I mean, they were alluding it. That, that idiot Tyler was alluding to it on the, um, on the commentary. Oh, you know, City are used to beating teams five or six nil. Well, so what? It doesn't matter. You don't get any extra points for only scoring one goal. You score, you score one. You score one goal more than the opposition, you get three points. End of. Yeah, I think I think I, I echo what Paul says before I, I tell you what I thought the game Ian. That that is a really good point. I heard the I heard the commentary as well, Paul, and it, and it aggravated me a bit. Uh, you know, it's, it's, oh, oh, they're not really scoring as many as they used to score. It's only one 0 The thing is, you got to look at when you look at score lines. You've got to look at how a football match is going, and you've got to give credit to the opposition. You've got to credit Arsenal for lot for, for not allowing us to score four and five goals. It's easy to say City aren't scoring four and five goals because they're not necessarily playing at, you know, four or five goals level. But you've got to credit the opposition and look at that. You know, we've not scored, we didn't score five goals against Wolves. We didn't score five goals against Leicester. We conceded five goals against Leicester. And you've got to credit the opponent sometimes and said, you know what, their job is to stop you from scoring five goals. And these teams want to stop us doing what we did in 17-18 and 18-19 now. And credit to them, they've they, you know they've they've improved their game and they've learned and studied how to stop us playing. So credit to the op opposition for a start. And you know it's going to take a, a bit of time for us to to get things going again with a few changes in the in, in the team. And and obviously Pep, as we alluded to the other week, changing the eleven to find his best team. But I think that it's not far. Um, you know it's not going to be long before we are seeing us go away to places like Fulham and come away with four and five goals again. But the better sides in the league. We'll probably only maybe score one or two against now because you know it's nothing to do with the gap closing. It's just that everybody's improving their squads, and I think it is going to be one of them seasons where you've just got to get over the line in the games against the top eight. And and we we, we did that yesterday. And I think to add to what Paul and and, and Amy uh, Amy's probably going to say, I think it was a professional performance yesterday. I think that's the word. It was a professional performance. I think each man knew their man, and they they, they got the job done. I love I love watching Nathan Ake already. I've loved watching him since he was a Chelsea youngster. Um, he's been alone at various places. Um, he he was he was he was alone in the Netherlands for quite a few years. And and his 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 career could have gone like many other youth players' careers have gone. And that is that they go out on six or seven loans and then they end up in the wilderness. And you know he got the Bournemouth move. He, he honed his trade. Granted, he got relegated. He even got lambasted by a few City fans. What we're signing him for, he got relegated with Bournemouth. You can't always look at a player because of who they played for. You've got to look at the player for the player. And Nathan Ake already looks to me. I know Paul alluded to, to, to Diaz becoming that, that company figure. But with that Dutch and Belgian connection that company and Ake have got, and the fact that he plays alongside Van Dijk for the Netherlands, and he's already a, a Netherlands international and quite a a massive part of that Netherlands backline going forward into the future. Nathan Ake, for me, looks like captain material. He looks like the player that might bulk up a bit. He might put a bit more on. He might 
but composure wise and 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 you know shielding wise and and ushering players out of out, out you know out of the pitch and 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 being calm and composed on the ball. He looks like he's got a good head on his shoulders. And alongside Diaz, the two of them together complemented each other really well yesterday. And, and to be honest, going right back to a couple of weeks ago, talking about John Stones and whether his career was over at City, I think Pep kept him because he knew that with Ake Laporte and and Diaz or one of them, that if John Stones is played in a three or a two with either one of them or with a combination of two of them, that that might bring the best out in Stones because the pressure will be eased on him and he'll be allowed to play his own game. And I genuinely think that if Stones was to play with one of them three or two of them three now in a back three or or a back four as a a partnership, that he could really relax into it and put in some really good performances in a blue shirt. But overall, Bernardo was back. He looked great. I think the players, the big thing for me was coming out of the international break with three points because there's been times when we've come out of an international break in and we've we've not hit the ground running. And I think we needed to get that momentum going as soon as possible coming up to this next six games that we've got. Because there's, I think there's four Champions League games sandwiched in between each league game now. So it's going to be quite quite a tedious um, kind of se- you know month for the players. But the fact that we've started this, this, this momentum now and that we're going to obviously hopefully push on from it and we've started with a win, I think was massive for us going forward. And like I say, it was a professional performance against a really good Arsenal side that will be up there come the end of the season. All done without Kevin De Bruyne, uh, without uh, Gabriel Jesus. Uh, um, Laporte had a thigh injury. Mendy's got a new problem as well. So lots of key injuries, uh, which are worth noting as well. So, yeah, let's move on to another subject now that I want to speak about, which is um, this this project, Big Picture, which thankfully is, I say thankfully, you may disagree, but, but I believe thankfully has been rejected this week. Uh, just to remind anybody who doesn't know what, what that is, these were the key bits that were suggested uh, by Manchester United and Liverpool, basically. Um, but in theory, on behalf of other clubs, though none of the other clubs have put their head above the parapet, so we don't know whether they would have agreed with it or not. Uh, but this is what they were suggesting. The Premier League would be reduced from 20 to 18 clubs. The League Cup and the Community Shield will be scrapped. The current one club, one vote principle would be abolished. Um, the rule would be that 14 clubs out of the, at the moment, the rule is that 14 clubs out of the current 20 need to agree on a policy. Um, power would, would then be shifted to nine clubs that have remained in the Premier League the longest, them being Arsenal, Chelsea, Everton, Liverpool, United and City, the so-called big six, plus Southampton, Tottenham and West Ham. Only six of the nine longest-serving clubs would need to vote for a major change. In other words, three of them, they could be ignored, which means the top six could basically get whatever they wanted. A £250 million payment up front to the EFL, plus a £100 million payment to the Football Association, and then 25% of Premier League annual revenue, up from 4%, would go to all the EFL clubs. So some things in that you think wouldn't be bad, but I think the headline from it is a power grab. That's certainly how it felt to me. Now, before I ask you three for your opinion on this, I have been speaking to um, the uh, the the um, the I'm trying to think of his title now, Kevin Parker. Yeah, the general, general secretary. secretary yeah. Thank you, Paul, of the Manchester City Supporters Club, and uh, and he did release a statement along with, I think, his equivalents from some of the other big clubs, very much against Project Big Picture. And, uh, and bet, so I, I talked to him after the decision had been made that this would not happen, although it could come back, I suppose, in some other form. And here's, here's what he had to say, and I'll get the reaction of the gang after this. I think, in hindsight, it, it probably wasn't a great surprise that the rest of the Premier League rejected uh, the idea at the meeting yesterday, um, because there's no t- turkeys don't vote for Christmas, is the is, is the age old saying, and and at the very best, nine teams in the Premier League were going to gain something from this uh, this new system that was uh, uh, suggested by Liverpool and Manchester United. Nine teams at the best, probably only six, which left eleven out in the cold. Um, 
So there's no way that they're going to vote for something that works against them. But that didn't stop us, I think, when we spoke as a small group of the FSA uh, representatives of the top six clubs. That didn't stop us from making the point that we felt we needed to make. And was and it, it was total opposition to the idea of it. I think we were all a bit dumbfounded, to be honest with you. You know, that it could possibly have got as far as it did. It, you know, this wasn't something that somebody had talked about last week. This is, this is something that had been discussed by Liverpool, Manchester United and Rick Parry for at least two years, possibly three years it was even suggested. So it, it beggars belief, really, that it got as far as it did. Now that City have beaten UEFA and ended their own exclusion from the 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 cartel that, that basically was attempted to keep City out, do you believe, I mean, it's hard to know whether City would have supported this if it had come to a Ladze, or whether, having gone through what they'd gone through themselves, they would be completely against it? It's a, yeah, it's a difficult one to answer, I think. Um, you would hope that City would have voted against it, you know, that even when the first meeting were called, that City would have said, hold on, that's not something we can support because it's not our, our idea of football. Um, we, we'll never really know. But um, listen, I, th I suppose when United, Liverpool and Rick Parry got together and said, listen, we've got to speak to the other four of the big six, however that works, I suppose when City, Arsenal, Spurs and Chelsea were called into that meeting, you have to you have to take part in that meeting to find out what it's all about, of course, because until you're invited in, you you don't know anything. So I don't blame City really. I don't blame City, Arsenal, Chelsea, and Spurs for taking part once they've been invited to discuss a proposal. But you would hope that City's reaction to it would have been, hold on, we're not we're not interested in this take it to the Premier League if you want. And when you take it to the Premier League, we'll vote against it. I would hope, knowing the club, as I think we know them, that that would have been their response. I certainly find it hard to believe that they, were, that they would have been in favour of it. I know that Ferran Soriano has, has said recently that he um, doesn't see any problem with clubs like City have having a, a, a second team in sort of like what we equivalent of Leeds 1 and 2, which I know happens now in the leasing.com trophy. And I know that people who have allegiances, of course, to those teams in League 1 and 2 would find that very difficult to swallow. Well, a lot of them do anyway. How do you feel about that as a, as a City fan and as a leader of the City supporters? Is, is that a statement that you would also frown upon that the encouragement to let smaller teams fall by the wayside in this economic situation uh, and that the Premier League then takes over by having second teams in lower divisions? No, I'm not in favour of second teams either. I can't, there's no, and I think the biggest thing that came out of this uh, big uh, project, big picture, is that um, that the other clubs were desperately looking for assistance for championship and, and uh, League One and League Two clubs. I'm certainly not in favour of B teams. I do think that the structure of, uh, of football needs to change slightly. Maybe so that, that, that maybe City... I mean, City can't come out at the moment, can they? They can't offer financial help to other football clubs in the area because, uh, like, you know, City have got part ownership of different clubs around the world. It, it may well be that there's an, an argument that City or other Premier League clubs are allowed to offer financial assistance to other clubs and whereby that those clubs can then, um, we can send players out specifically on loan to a specific club. But those clubs have got to retain their own identity. There's, there's no way that, that, in my eyes, there's no way that B clubs will work. But I do think the rules need to change to allow the clubs with money to be given the opportunity, should they feel they want to, to reach agreements with other clubs in the locality that, is, that are beneficial 
to the Premier League club and the lower league club as well. But that has to be on the basis that the lower league club retains their identity. Otherwise, the supporters of the lower league club will lose interest. There's one other subject which might seem an age off at the moment, given where we are, but that is the return of fans before everybody goes back, i.e. the limited number that go back. I had four members of the City Matters Committee on my podcast a couple of months ago, probably a bit longer than that ago, actually, who'd had a meeting at the time with the club and discussed the way that tickets like that might be distributed. Let's say it was 10,000. And the feeling was from within the club that some would go to the most loyal fans, some would go to maybe sponsors, some would go to different groups and then let's just say, for argument's sake, seven or 8,000 of that 10,000 then goes to ballot. The most recent rumour I've heard, it's unsubstantiated, but still it's a hypothetical question that we can discuss, is that the club may decide to go down the route of just simply putting every ticket out to ballot and ignoring the, the loyalty of long-standing fans. How would you feel... Uh, I know you're still part of the City Matters Committee and I don't know if you've heard anything to the contrary and feel free to correct what I'm hearing um, if, if you think it's wrong. But if that was to happen like that and the club were to decide that it would all be by ballot and there would be no favour given to long-standing fans, how would you feel about that? Yeah, I was party to the uh, discussions that uh, the other members of the City Matters Committee had with the club and we, we had a few conversations about the return to uh, stadiums by fans and part of that was in terms of allocations and the club seemed to be being fair about the way that the tickets were being allocated in the first place in terms of seats and card holders, citizens, members, sponsors, uh, supporters clubs, uh, that all seemed fair and we'd got to the point where we were starting to talk to them about the allocation of tickets and the City Matters um, uh, committee had said that we felt there should be some waiting although we didn't quite know how much there should certainly be some waiting to our most loyal supporters who have got loyalty points at the top of the tree we didn't know exactly what percentage that should be my recollection of that is that the club were certainly willing to listen to that suggestion but we hadn't got to the point unfortunately where uh, the club had come back with any definite decisions on that and I, I've not heard anything since then to suggest that the club had changed their mind and we're just going to have a, a straightforward ballot. I think we would, as a City Matters Committee, our stance would still be the same as it was, uh, that there should be some uh, loyalty given to the supporters with the highest number of loyalty points. Our view on that, I'm sure, has not changed. So that's Kevin Parker, the General Secretary of Manchester City Supporters Club, with three sort of different bits there, really. Uh, let's start with the, the project Big Picture. What, what's your reaction then, the three of you two? Um, I, I don't know who wants to go first on this. Um, just shove your hand in the air. We'd record this by Zoom, by the way, um, if you're wondering. Um, so Paul wants to go first. What, what, what do you do make of Project Big Picture? Are you glad now that... Uh, do you agree with what Kevin said and glad that it's gone away for now at least? Yeah, I think I think Kev speaks very well on it, to be honest with you. Um, he's, a good, he's in a good position to speak on it. Um, my, my opinion of this is, is it's been going on for some time, this power grab. Um, and the, the, the people behind it, you know, it's reportedly just United, Liverpool, possibly. Um, it's a power grab and they took advantage of the COVID situation, if, if I'm being perfectly honest. Um, <clears throat> the fans are getting out of the habit of going to the matches. Um, and let's have it right, I think I think a lot, of, a lot of clubs now are thinking, hang on a minute, how important are these fans? You know, it's like, you know, the, 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 season, the season's got better as the players are getting used to um, not performing in front of fans. Um, so now perhaps they're thinking, you know what, do we actually need the fans? They're hassle, aren't they? You know, they cause trouble at the matches, they cost us money to get them in, we have to pay for stewards, we have to pay for a great big fancy ground, when all we have to do is build a pitch with cameras around it, um, 
pipe in a bit of sound and we've got ourselves a, a product that the TV companies are quite happy to uh, take. Everyone can make more money out of it. Stuff the fans. Let's let's move it into the uh, the modern era. And and for me, this is this is the start of that. And unfortunately, um, this is how it's going to end up going. I, I I can't see myself going to matches for another another ten seasons. To be honest, I just don't see it being anywhere near like it was. Um, before, you know, with VARs killed it. I, ju I just think they don't want us there anymore. They're not bothered about us. They sold out of TV rights and money. The modern owners, the American, it's no, it's no consequence that the the, uh, the 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 two teams behind it are American owned. Um, you know, we'll be having offense and defense and 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 timeouts, and we'll be having. We'll be having all sorts of stuff coming into it, and we'll be having, you know, it'll be American football. They'll, they'll be calling it English football, and you know, it's just going to turn into a spectator sport that you sit at home and watch. That's all it's going to be, and this is the start of it, I'm afraid. What do you think, Amy? You're from a different, well, you're halfway between Harlan and Paul, maybe somewhere in the middle. <laughs> what do you think? Um. <laughs> <laughs> um. I, yeah, I just I think that um, that basically it is becoming a bit like you know I'm fed up of watching it on the TV. I don't know about anybody else. Um, and this thing with this fourteen ninety five thing, I hope nobody has paid that. I really do yeah. hope nobody has done that. Um, but yeah, I just think that it's just it's just ridiculous though that some somebody would think, oh, I. I I'm giving with one hand and taking with the other. Uh, I look like I'm doing a nice gesture, but in actual fact, it's just to lay my own pocket. Um, I'm, you know, I'd be really upset if we lost, like we lost all the lower leagues because, like people have said, the the infiltrates for the rest of the league, the the rest of the teams. I mean, like the likes of, of um, Jamie Vardy, and he came from Fleetwood. You know, like these, like lower, lower leagues, lower teams, help build up, um, you know, the rest of the league. And to think that you're doing a nice thing when you're actually just wanting to line your own pockets is disgusting. I was at AFC Berry yesterday um, against Darwin. They play at Radcliffe Borough, the Phoenix Club from Berry going bust, and. I think if you said to their fans yesterday, I didn't ask them this question. I did a I did a vlog which you can see on the Forever Blue YouTube channel. I didn't ask them this question, but if I'd said, um, would you have been happy if City or United or Liverpool had somebody had come in and and uh, bought your club, and uh, and you could have carried on at Gig Lane, but you would have been Liverpool B or United or City B. Um, would you have been happy with that? Because it would have kept your club going. I'm pretty sure that they would have all said no, if I'm yeah. being honest. Yeah, and I if uh, Manchester like City, as much as we're Blues, if City's B team was playing at, at Bury, I might uh, I might expect a few City fanatics like me to go along and watch it. But I think it would be very small numbers. And I think all the Bury fans, just using that as an example, would desert uh, gig lane and would say that's not our club anymore yeah. Yeah. Um, and presumably you feel the same then do you? Yeah I mean it's like when obviously when the Glazers took over United look what happened FC United came along and you know we all took the mick and said they look like Norwich but they weren't happy with the Glazer takeover so you know this is what this would happen I mean I remember like years and years ago we used to go and watch Hyde United because City City's um, lads who were coming back from injury would go and play at IG United. Um, I remember being there and Kevin Orlock fell into the hoardings and he like cut his head really badly and I nearly threw up because it was right near me. Um, I was only tiny and the, the all the blood just, well, you can imagine. Um, I also went and watched, uh, I think it was like an under-18s of a derby match and... Um, basically, this young lad played for City and one of the United players cracked into his leg and broke it in three places. He never played again. That was it. His, his, his career was ruined. Um, but, yeah, you well, know... We're still... 
Oh, right. Um, yeah, it was just, you know, obviously that was like years and years ago. So, yeah, you did go and watch Hard United and stuff like, you know, back in the day. But I'm with you, Ian. I think Berry would be really, really upset if they knew that, like, they had to be Liverpool B team or City B team. I, I, they want to be Berry. That's, that's who they are. But the response has been at Macclesfield as well with uh, the, the new setup there. Uh, that hasn't become, um, you know, Stoke City's B team. That is, that is still Macclesfield Town. Go on, Harlan. Are you, are you sure that that leg break that you signed me with um, Mr. Wirrell on uh, on Gary Elm? <laughs> as you signed Jimmy Grimble <laughs> when he speaks about that that leg break that he caused after having a few. <laughs> you never know, but I don't know. In all seriousness, saying going back to what we were saying, it, it's one of them. Um, like like Amy's nailed it there. It, it's been disguised this project big picture as as trying to trying to almost you know create something groundbreaking whilst helping the EFL out because of this current situation and the fact that there are a lot of EFL clubs clinging on for dear life. One very close to my heart, Oldham Athletic, that went through a lot of misery in two thousand and four. Um, the Blitz, you know Simon Blitz, Simon Corney, uh, and the American Son- uh, Consortium. Sorry, came over in two thousand and four, as you'll remember. Uh, and brought Oldham from the brink of, of, of administration and disappearance altogether and winding up and whatnot. Um, I was over here in Bolton last year watching the Bolton Wanderers situation unfold in before my own eyes on the radio, surrounding myself with Bolton Wanderers fans that were seeing what happened to Oldham happen to them from being such a big club. And, you know, all I will say is that to the fans of big clubs and, and even ourselves, even though we wouldn't, we've been there, Never become complacent at where you are at, at this current moment in time because you never really know what can happen. You know, a couple of injuries, a couple of players being lost, you know, bad management, bad bad ownership, you know, terrible use of funds. It can all come unravelling uh, and it can all, all, all spiral out of control in such a short space of time. But these two clubs have seen that and thought, well, we can, we can disguise big picture as helping these clubs below when, like Amy eloquently put, we're in, in theory only lining our own pockets. And, and I think, you know, with regards to that, it, it, it's one of them things with, with the B team situation that you spoke to Kev about that, that I remember Pep three or four years ago saying that it would, it would greatly improve players if they were playing in the lower leagues as part of a B team. And that would, that would improve the development of the players. And I think, you know, the, the closest we'll ever get to that will be the EFL trophy, which we've both seen a lot of. Um, I've watched a few Bolton games against sides. You've been and seen City, you know, versus Scunthorpe. A lot of other games, the Rochdale, and and I do think it's good for players like Delap, and I do think it's good for players like Garcia to get involved in playing against rough and tumble League One, League Two sides, and that's good for us because that's developing our players and making them more robust. But then, what is it doing for them other sides? That is that is making it difficult. You know, we thumped Scunthorpe four 0 the other week. That's not good for Scunthorpe's confidence going into their next League One match, you know, because we are an academy side, we're a Premier League academy. Of course, the players that we've got in that under-21s team are going to be far superior to the League One and League Two players that are playing in this country because they've they've had better facilities, they've had better quality of training, better coaches, better everything. But it does work in Spain. Barca B, Real Madrid, Castilla in, in, in the C League over there. Which is why Soriano wants it. He's seen it work there. It works in Germany, but it isn't part of our culture, is it? It isn't part of our culture. And I think, you know, Pep came over here and he changed the way that football was played, obviously adapting on what Cruyff had done early on in football and and what he'd done with total football in the Netherlands. Arsene Wenger, let's not forget, he changed the way football was played in this country with his Arsenal side. And Pep has merely come over and said, I can do what I did at, at Barcelona and at Bayern Munich and I can do it in England. And like you say, we, but, but we've still got our own culture and we've still got our own pyramid. And we're very, very, very proud of the Football League pyramid that we've got in this country, including the conference, including the, the leagues that I report on every week, the MPL, the Northwest Counties Football League. They're still very, very, very important in the Northwest of England, them leagues. And, and then you look at the Southern versions and you look at the Southern leagues, you know, the, the West Lanks uh, counties and, and everything. They're massively important to, like Amy said, creating players like Jamie Vardy, Stocksbridge Park, you know, uh, Bradford Park Avenue, all these clubs and, and the, the hides and they create players that, that, that then go on to bigger and better things. And without them clubs, you know, we can keep buying players and we can keep paying fortunes to players and we can keep, you know, bringing players in for low fees and developing them through our, our own academies. 
But then players will eventually, you know, will they run out? No, but we'll just continually not be dipping into the lower leagues. And then grassroots will die, and, and that's no good for anyone. I saw how much joy it brought to them people at Bury AFC yesterday, Ian. And, and without grassroots, for me, I've been watching Coles in pre-season. That's football. We love City because we've grown up with City. I love City. That, that is football to me. But I, it does you know I'm going watching a bit of rough and tumble in the Northwest Counties Football League, having a pie, having an hot dog, and, and, and you know mixing with different kinds of people. At a local football ground. Try local. If, if, if you're not going to the football at the moment, please try local because it's well worth it. And without local, football will die. You don't need to sell it to me. Um, I absolutely loved the game yesterday at Berry. I've got to say, I think that was my 14th or 15th match, believe it or not, of the season. I've been to a lot of non-league games. I've been lucky enough to go to a couple of City under-21s and I do some work for Oldham Athletic as part of their commentary team, so I've been into some of their games. But that one yesterday at Radcliffe Borough, the Berry game, had me smiling. And even though I'm not a Berry fan, um, I found myself actually chanting and cheering and I'd forgotten how to do it. It was like, it was like you know, thought, yeah, this is what you do because watching the games on TV certainly hasn't had that impact on me at all. Go on, Paul. Well, just I'd, I'd, um, first, first live game of football I've been to see since the lockdown. I went watching my, um, my grandson, Reese play he plays for Curzon Ashton's on the 13s. Uh, and they were playing over at uh, Drolsden on the um, Chapel Lane pitches there. Um, I tell you what, if if you're going to start getting rid of these lower league teams, what hope have these young kids got of striving to play better, to get into, you know, every single one of them kids on that pitch. I met, and can I say, it was an absolute fantastic game to watch. Um I'm going to start going watching them every week now um, because I realise how much I'm missing live football, the, 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 the contact and the interaction and the, you know, the camaraderie of it. It was a great standard of football. But what these kids were buzzing today because of, there was a story that there was um, um, a scout had come from, from Man United or from City, one, one of the two. And they were, you could see them, you could see them up in the game because they thought, the, the, the carrot's been dangled for them. They might get, as a 13-year-old kid, a chance to play at a big club. You take that away from them, all of a sudden, you've got kids stopping wanting to play football because, you know, where are they going to go? What teams are they going to play in? You know, it, it's it's wrong to take that that desire away from these poor kids at that age. I just think it's wrong. Let, let me just move on to the other subject, which was the third part of, of what we spoke about with Kevin, uh, which is a subject I'm sure that will get more and more relevant whenever the moment comes when fans are allowed back in. I did say one thing in the uh, the vlog that I did from Radcliffe. Uh, there were uh, 300 allowed, I think, into that game, 300 into a little stadium at Radcliffe Borough. And I thought, there's 300 here today, and yet none are allowed at Old Trafford. None are allowed at Liverpool. None are allowed at, at Eastlands. I'm still calling it Eastlands. <laughs> you know, 55,000 empty seats. So why are 300? I mean, I know then it becomes, well, which 300? But why why are 300 or 1,000 or some... some? Why is there nobody allowed to go to these games? And when it does happen that we're allowed back in, then the thorny question of how is it decided comes to the fore. Now, I heard a rumour this week, unsubstantiated, that uh, that City were considering just making it a straight ballot, that there would be no favour shown to anybody. It wouldn't matter if you've been for 50 years home and away or whether you were a first-time season ticket holder, you'd go in the same draw. I can see that causing a lot of resentment from people who've gone for a, a long time. For those who are new fans... Maybe they'd see that as a new way forward, and the, and that's up to to everybody to to decide. But that is still going to be a thorny issue, if and it is only hypothetical. City would just do a straight ballot for tickets. Are you three in favour of that? How can you how can you do a straight ballot? Um, so you've got. Um, I mean, all right. We'll, we'll go back to you know our pal John John Baker. He goes to every game with his daughter. So, 
how if they do a straight ballot, if his daughter gets the ticket, she, her name comes out in the ballot. How is she going to go into the game her, let, let me stop you there, Paul, because the, 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 that's a slightly different issue. I don't think anybody's suggested that if you're in a bubble or, you know, you come, you, you're from the same address, that you wouldn't go in jointly. I don't think it would be individuals like in that way. So John and his daughter, to give them as an example, would go in as a twosome. And if they were successful, the two would go. And if they weren't successful, neither of them would go. But the question I want to, to address in this debate is whether or not there should be any groups of fans that should be given any priority. So members of the so supporters club chairman like you, um, should you get a, um, you know the chance to uh, more of a chance if you like, or your members of your branch, should people who have over twenty thousand points who've gone home and away for the last forty years from the old division two right through to, to present day, should they be given a preference? Should people who've bought ten, twenty thousand, fifty thousand pound private boxes have a priority because of the amount of money that they're putting in Ian, should the you... sponsors etc you know or, or is should it just be that it's just if you want to go you register and you say yeah i want to go i'm a season ticket holder i want to go um put me in the ballot please and if Ian, you're successful I, I, as a, even if it's a pair then you're successful i think i think sorry paul just jump in here while this idea is it huh? i think ballot by category so you could ballot but you ballot by category so for example um, you could do the, you know, the, the people with the most loyalty points, that would be a category. So there would be a ballot in that category and then that would be just for them people. So you, you'd ballot in that category and then you ballot season card holders that have been season card holders for a certain amount of years. So for example, myself, I've had a season card now for not, between nine and 10 years. This would have been my 10th season in a row. So I'd have, I'd have, um, I'd be in a category with, with the people that have been 10 to 15 years season card holders. And then if I lose out on that, I'd feel like I'd not lost out to a fan that's only been going for a year. And I'd feel like I'd not lost out to someone that had been going um, for, for, for as long as you have. I mean, it, so it your also, answer, your answer, the way you're, you're couching your answer means you do think it should be categories and you don't think it should just be an open ballot then. Yeah, rather. Yeah, exactly. And I think the categories that we spoke about before would be that um, I think you mentioned it a couple of weeks ago, actually, that. It will be balloted after a certain amount of time. I think you mentioned to Kev then, Ian, did you? That, you know, sponsors would get a certain amount and then the rest will be balloted. What I'm talking about is have all the tickets available, so the whole allocation of 12,000 or whatever it is, or 15,000, and then separate that into a percentage. So you have, a, 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 you know, you separate that into five different percentages. So you have 20% are people like yourself that have been going for 40 plus years, you have people that have been going in a different category. You have your fans that are on the city, the citizen scheme. You have fans that have been, you know, um, that have been going for between so many years and so many years. And then you have your sponsors or whatever that, that have I'm, not... I'm reluctant to stop you, but because because going into all of that, we could do this, and that's that's where all the detail comes in, and it'll well, be very very complicated. But in general terms, you still think that it should be different categories of fans that are in different ballots. What about fairly, you, Amy? Yeah. Don't fail What about yeah. you, Amy? Yeah, I, I mean, obviously, like, my dad had a season card at Main Road. And then when they built, you know, all right, I've not been going as long as everyone else, but it doesn't mean I've not supported City for as long because I have. I've supported City since I was a kid. But my dad had a, had a season card at Main Road. And then when they built the third tier, as a surprise to him, I put our name into the thing to get to get a season card for the third tier. And we was lucky enough that we our name got pulled out and we was able to get a season card. So obviously I've been going to City now, well, to the Etihad, since the third tier was built um, properly. I mean, I've been loads of other times to, you know, games when I managed to get tickets. But as yourselves, who've obviously been going a lot longer than I have, you know, in fairness, it is, it is, you know, right that you should get picked out first and the ones who, who haven't been going as long are, are left a bit, a little bit, a little bit longer. But, you know, that's maybe... Two people, that's two people who both basically said, because this is the essence of what I'm asking, if City were to just make it a completely balloted, 
nobody, no priorities to any group. Uh, both of you disagree with that. What about you, Paul? Um, <clears throat> I'll put myself in a, a little bit of di different bracket because as a, you know, a lifelong season ticket holder of City and a, a, a fan and everything, I'll, I'll put my hat in the ring here and say, until we can all go back in, I don't want to go back in. I don't want to. I don't want to wear a badge on my arm saying, "Oh yes, I was one of the first three thousand in." You know what? If I can't go in and stand or sit with my pals who were go to it week in, week out, having the crack, I don't want to be in a stadium where, um, you know, I'm, I'm isolated. I, I'm not. I've got to stand two meters away from somebody. I've got to wear a mask. Unless we all go in together, you can stick your ballot where the sun don't shine because I'm not interested in it. I don't want a ballot. I want to go. I'll go when we can all go, and then you can stick your ballot, and everyone else can get on with it because I'm not interested in it. That's that's where I see. I don't think you'll be the only one who's thinking that way, actually, Paul. I think a lot of people I've spoken to are thinking that way. Um, anyway, that's a subject I'm sure we'll come back to um, a lot more in the future. Um, I'm going to actually um, conclude this particular podcast by. A, playing to you an interview I did with Stan Horn, a former City player, who back in the 60s uh, played for the club in the season before City won the title in 1968. He played a, quite a lot of games, actually. And then he got an Achilles injury. So along with um, Harry Dowd, the goalkeeper, who uh, I presume was, was either injured or just not selected, Bobby Kennedy and Paul Hintz, you might remember him, uh, as well as being a City player, was a writer for the Manchester Evening News. Those four players only played about five appearances each in the title-winning season and never got a title-winning medal. Um, so there is now efforts by the club to try to make uh, new uh, minted coins. I think it cost about £300 to mint each coin uh, so that they will each get a medal. And I've been speaking to Stan. So just before you hear that interview, a big, big thank you to Harlan to Paul and to Amy for being part of this particular podcast. Um, I'll conclude the podcast at the end after we've heard from Stan, but a big shout out again to charleslewy.co.uk, Chartered Mortgage Advisors, who without them, there would not be a Forever Blue podcast this season. So a big thank you to them. But thanks to you three. Um, obviously, there's a, there's a game coming up this week in the Champions League against Porto. Um, and then next weekend, it's West Ham. So two more games before we next convene. Enjoy your week. Enjoy the virtual games on TV. And, uh, and I'll, I'll leave you for now. So thanks very much, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Cheers. So that's, that's the mob gone. So, um, as I say, Stan Horn is the, is the man who um, would have got a medal, didn't get a medal. Uh, but I, before I got on to that particular subject... I asked him to tell me, just for those who, who don't remember his career, and I must admit, I'm not quite old enough to have remembered him as a player, although I got to know him as a man, um, to tell me, just remind me of his career at Manchester City. Well, I joined, uh, I joined City in, uh, I think it was 1965, the 65-66 season. Um, I'd, been at, um, I'd been at Aston Villa like, the, the previous season, and, and after the season had finished, we come back for pre-season training and um, during the medical, we, had, we all had, obviously had medicals to start the season and, and um, they found that I had an abnormal blood pressure. So I went to the hospital for tests and uh, they uh, decided that the risk wasn't worth taking. So I was released from Aston Villa. In the meantime, Joe Mercer, had, um, he'd been released by Villa as well. Uh, and during that summer, he, he, he'd been taken on by Manchester City. Uh, so I went back home to Oxfordshire and uh, went into the Radcliffe Hospital for some extensive tests. And um, they also found uh, there was nothing wrong with me. And they said there was no reason why I couldn't start playing football again. So I, I, uh, in the meantime, I, I wrote to Joe Mercer, who'd, who'd come up to Manchester City. And uh, he, he said... Uh, yeah, come up by all means and have a, have a two or three weeks um, a month uh, trial. So I did that and uh, within two or three weeks, um, I'd made a debut in the first team, which was uh, startling really. I was uh, <laughs> not expecting to take off uh, so quickly. Um, so 
<clears throat> that was the start of my Manchester City career. Uh, I thought, well, I'll be part of the um, part of the squad, maybe play a few reserve games and, and whatnot, and just see the see that season out. But I got into it. That was the season that City won the uh, won the second division. Um, I played. I think I played about 16, 17 games, um, and was part of the team, obviously regular. So um, I was I was absolutely over the moon because virtually I was on the scrap heap after leaving Aston Villa. So I was. Um, I was more than uh, more than grateful for Joe Mercer, who I hold in high esteem. I, I think he was he was a brilliant, brilliant man. Um, so that was the start of my Manchester City career. The following season, I uh, I played most of the season. I think I played thirty games in the '67. That was the first season uh, in the first division, and uh, I established myself in the team as a regular. Next season was the championship year, the 68 season. And uh, although I didn't play many games, I, had a, I was unfortunate. I had a, a very bad Achilles tendon injury, which kept me out for most of the season. But I managed to play a few games and, and get back involved with the with this squad. Um, but my, 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 uh, my uh, chances were limited because uh, in the meantime, a young lad by the name of Mike Doyle <laughs> had come on the scene and he, he established himself as a, as a regular. So, uh, although I played a few more games after, I, I decided it was time to move on. Joe, uh, I had a chat with Joe, the manager, and uh, his good friend Bill Dodgen at Fulham came in and said he wanted to sign me. So, um, I, uh, I decided that, uh, yeah, it's best to, to move on and to, so I could play some, uh, some proper games, you know, in the first team. Uh, but my, my time at City, I'll never forget my time at City. That was the best time of my life, really. The, the team at that time was phenomenal. You, you know, you got the likes of Lee, Bell, Summerby, and to run out behind those onto the pitch, it was just amazing, absolutely amazing. I look back still now with fond memories about, uh, about those times. And uh, it, it just gives me a, a thrill every time I think about it. Now, I think you, re I think you regarded Stan as uh, City's first black player. Yeah, Is that yeah. significant to you? Is that something that you're proud of? Um, I don't know whether I'm pr proud of it. It's just one of those things. I just happen to be black and I just happen to play for, for City. And, and, you know, it, it's not... It's not the main thing in my life, but I'm, I am I am proud to have been been in that position. But you know, it's just that's just a trick of life, isn't it? I mean, I, I just happened to be that first person. Um, and I must say, um, going back to those days when Joe was the manager, I mean, people talk to me about being a pioneer of black people, but I regarded uh, Joe Mercer and people like that. Who, who took the chance with me and, and gave me the chance? A lot of people wouldn't have done that. Did you suffer racism at all? More. <laughs> it's funny because there weren't, there weren't all that many black people playing at that time, uh, so I think it was it was a bit of a novelty for crowds when they see uh, when they see a black player playing. I didn't suffer all that much from crowds. It was more from uh, opponents on the field. You know when he. I, I was a type of player who would give, a, give, a, give an opponent a, a bit of a dig. Uh, I was regarded as a tough tackler. So if I, if I tackle someone a bit hard, I, I probably, I usually got called a black name, you know. So, but it, that, that, was, that was just another incentive for me to, to be better, play better, give them, you know, to win. Uh, it, it, it provoked that winning man mentality in me. Um, and I always like to get one over on people, you know. Um, but th that was just during the game, and it was like water off a duck's back, really, because I've, I've grown up with being the odd one out, even at school and stuff like that, so it was nothing, uh, nothing unusual. These days, when a team wins the Premier League title, they can pretty much give a medal to anybody. In the days mm. when you played, and I know you weren't the only one in that squad, Harry Dowd, the late yeah. Harry Dowd, Paul Hintz and Bobby Kennedy and yourselves all missed out on medals. I think yeah. you played five games. Yeah, yeah. I think we all, I think the four of us had about five games each. And as you say, in, in, in this time, like the old squad gets, it seemed like the backroom staff get medals as well. But um, 
in those days, it was just mainly the, the 12, 12 players who played the most games. Yeah, it, it came as a, a bit of a shock, uh, actually, when I heard about it. But, um, it, yeah, I'm absolutely delighted. Uh, it's, it's, um, it's one of those things. I know uh, when I tell people I played in the, in the 1968 uh, championship winning team, they say, can we have, can we have a look at your medal? <laughs> I said, I haven't got one, and uh, I, ex I had to explain then why. You know, you only played so many games, but um, then I go on to tell them that, uh, yeah, it's in the process of, of being uh, presented, but uh, as yet I've not got it. But now, um, when I do receive this medal, or if I receive this medal, it'll be it'll be tremendous because I can I can I can take it out and, and show them that I actually did play in the '68 uh, championship team and. Um, it was a it was a, a special time. We're in strange times at the moment, Stan. Where football's getting a lot of negative publicity. You may have read about the, uh, you know, the possibility of, of of new sort of control being taken by some of the big clubs. And this mm. is such a good news story because it, it shows that there is still a heart in, particularly our club, Manchester City, that that they're fighting for this for you and for the others. Yeah, yeah, it's it's um, tremendous, really. But um, I did hear that um, some other clubs had, had already done this for, for players who had missed out back in the uh, you know back in the sixties, the, the uh, like Tottenham uh, with with Frank Saul and, and people like that, Tony Markey. I think they were given medals long after um, long after they'd won the championship. So uh, it, it's uh, it's not it's not unusual, but um, it will be uh, it will be very satisfying if I could get my hand on on that on that medal. Um, Have you got somewhere in mind? Is there a wall somewhere? Well, it'll, medal's it'll, take, go? it'll take pride of place uh, on the mantelpiece, probably. And once I've shown it to all my, my, my doubters, my friends who, who don't believe I played for Man City, once I've done that, it'll, it'll be settled on the mantelpiece and I'll, I'll, I'll be looking at it uh, every now and again, you know, yeah. You but, and I have um, bumped into each other on so many occasions. You represent the club at golf days and all sorts of other things. You, it's never yeah. left your heart, this this football club, has it? No, it hasn't. Because I said, like I said earlier on, um, Man City virtually took me off the scrap heap and gave me another chance at, at something that I, I love doing, uh, and I'll I'll be forever grateful to them for that. Um, so yeah, Man City. Although I play for. For different clubs, I started off at Aston Villa. Man City will always be my club because I have that that special place in my heart for them. Uh, well, I'm I'm an avid fan now, and I, I, when it's when it's possible, we go to all the games and uh, with my family as well. So uh, yeah, I'm a, I'm a Man City fan, but um, it's it's just special when you talk to somebody and 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 they're talking about City and say, oh, well, I I played for City back in the day. Oh, did you? Yeah, that's brilliant. And it's uh, it just brings a you know a lump to your throat sometimes when you think about the good times, all the special people that were there at the time as well. How do Some you feel about the way that, that that football and the clubs changing, Stan? Uh, do, are you really excited by the positive changes, or are you worried about some of the things going forward that that may take the the, the club a little bit more away from fans? Yeah, it is. It is that ever-growing divide, isn't it? The, like the rich get rich and the poor get poor. It's a, it's a pity, really, because um, no, my, my son is is, uh, is um, he's associated with Ramsbottom United. Now you can't get more grassroots than Ramsbottom United. Um, and I go down there to watch games sometimes, and and it, it, it's a throwback to how football used to be played when you watch these grassroots games. So you you, you shouldn't you shouldn't forget where where footballs come from. I know it's gone a long way since, but um, grassroots football for me is is something that has to be looked after. It's funny because my sponsors, who are CharlesLouis.co.uk, the mortgage advisors, are based in Ramsbottom, and I know mm. that Dave, who runs that company, uh, cares a lot about Ramsbottom United. So I've got it in my mind to go to a game soon, and I know he wants to do some sponsorship of the club. So mm. um, it makes it even more interesting now. If your son's there, we have a personal yeah. connection, don't we? Well, that's it, and he, he lives. Well, let's say he lives for Ramsbottom, but he is very connected to Ramsbottom. I think he's the, the secretary of the junior section, and uh, he, he spends a lot of time with, with Rami. But uh, yeah, I, I I go down and watch watch games there when uh, when you can, and uh, I get a big kicker watching watching this grassroots football. But as, as you say, times have moved on. 
these big clubs are getting bigger and bigger with all the money that's uh, knocking about. Uh, and it just makes it a little bit, um, it, it, for, for fans to get to these games, it's a little bit more difficult. I mean, in my day, every, everyone could get to a football game. They could afford to go into a football game. But now it's a little bit exclusive with the, with the price of seats and stuff. But um, that's the way of the world. Isn't it? That's the way things have moved on. You've mentioned that you like to watch City, you go to games, and I know that that's very true. Uh, how are you mm. feeling about watching these games now on TV with artificial sound and behind closed doors? I bet you're glad you weren't playing in, in this era. Well, no, it, it's very un unreal, isn't it? It's, it's, it's just like uh, practice matches used to be in, in our day. We used to play with, you know, 11 against 11 with nobody watching in practice matches. And that's how it seems to me at the minute. Um, I know they've got to get through the games and get them played and everything, but football is for the fans. You've got to have fans at a game to, for it to be, be, be called a proper football game. Uh, and that's what's missing at the moment. I, I know, uh, I hope sooner rather than later this COVID thing will be finished and we can all get back to, to watching football again. Absolutely. But you've given us a, a good news story to celebrate, Stan, that hopefully, mm. fingers crossed, you're going to get that uh, much-deserved title-winning medal. Um, yeah. And it, it's lovely to speak to you. It's lo lovely, hopefully, to see you in good health. And I hope mm. to see you back at a game very soon. Thanks very much, Ian. With nice your medal. You. I want to see your medal once you've got it. I'll show it to you, yeah. I love it there. <laughs> I love it in my pocket. Don't worry about that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, fingers crossed. So that was Stan Horn, the former Manchester City player. Let's fingers crossed that he gets hold of one of those uh, medals that the club are trying to arrange for him, which I think is a, a fantastic thing to do. Um, just a reminder uh, before the podcast eventually comes to a conclusion uh, about uh, my sponsors, charleslewy.co.uk. Uh, they also are doing a campaign on income protection. When it comes to paying the bills, is it a question of priorities? Charles Louis is specialist advisors in income protection, critical illness and live insurance. So give them a bell, charleslewy.co.uk phone numbers on the website that's it for me that uh, obviously thanks to stan horn to uh, kevin parker the general secretary of the supporters club and to the three members of the forever blue squad for their contributions to this podcast and to will who uh, edits and puts it all together so thanks very much obviously um slight problems occasionally with little bits of sound but we can't do much about that with it being uh, on Zoom these days. Hopefully one day we'll be back together again uh, doing these podcasts. But now stay safe and remember, as always, it's great to be a blue, isn't it? Mm -hmm.